Alright, aye, aye, aye. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of People of Glasgow. I'm your host and rapscallion, Raymond Williams, and in this episode I talk to Michael Hayes. Michael is co-founder of software developer AdJam. He's also the man behind Rookie Oven, a hub for startup companies and entrepreneurs. Show notes for this episode are available at peopleofglasgow.co.uk forward slash 8. That's the number 8, not the word. To suggest a guest or comment on the show, then please email us at poglasgow at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at peopleglasgow. That's peopleglasgow. There's no all of them there. And that's that. On to the episode. Big up yourself. So if you could explain what Rookie Oven actually is. Yes, so Ricky Oven uh, today is uh, quite a few things. Uh, it's a, uh, the most prominent of which is the co-working space in Govins. So it's a old uh, Victorian shipyard that's been converted into like, high-class offices. And we've got one of the largest spaces in it was a drawing office. And it's now uh, a, a tech collaborative co-working space. Uh, but Ricky Oven, uh, before that, started in 2010. Well, the, the case started about 2010. Uh, I, I went to university and whilst there, guy I was studying with had the opportunity to start a business. So I joined him doing that, ran it for 12 months, and it was like a total disaster. Everything you could imagine going wrong went wrong. Everything. Um, I think a lot of it was down to youthful naivety, but well, another part was that I just didn't really know anyone in the city doing tech. I, I just thought all the cool stuff was over the west coast of Silicon Valley. So uh, this is like May 2011. We I, I sent out a few tweets saying who, who else in the city wants to talk tech, grab a pint, meet me in the, the beer hall in uh, Gordon Street and we'll talk tech. 30 people turned up the first night. Uh, I then started writing about uh, Scottish tech, Glasgow tech, my experiences in tech uh, on the Rookie blog. That was, again, about a month, two months after that, I think. And then... I went back to university to do a master's degree, and yeah, the, the community just grew, kept growing. Uh, more people come to the meetups. The blog was getting what ten thousand uniques per month, and then uh, I organised a couple of hackathons in, in the city. Uh, took a job, didn't really like the job, and decided we're going to start my own business again. And in twenty fourteen, started my current business, Adjam. We do. Mobile and web development, we make our own products. We try and launch our own IP to varying degrees of success. And um, we needed an office space. We had a choice of getting a wee room covered for myself and my co-founder or trying to leverage the community that we have to try and do something a bit different, something the city didn't really have and make a collaborative co-working space which had a, an identity for tech. I think Edinburgh's got code base, which is very well known, but Glasgow didn't anything for tech. So... Rookie Oven was a, a, an attempt to try to create a, a bit of a heart for Glasgow technology, just a space that was flexible, uh, flexible co-working space for small businesses and then high-class office space for larger businesses next door to us and event space and a place that we can try and nurture young talent. Uh, a lot of folk I to university with now work at JP Morgan and I get far more, a lot more money than I do, but... The, the the value I think of small businesses is massive and I'd like to see more young people either start their own business or join in a small business 
Uh, and that's why we then started the Recover Academy, which was just teaching more people better things, better, better how technology businesses will operate and work. So how many companies are in here just now, and do you see how many have totaled them through the place? Any idea? Oh, jigs. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely immense at keeping like, track of stats and stuff like that. Um, at the moment, there's about 18 companies, um, various types. Some of them are, I think we can categorise them in three areas. There's freelancers who are guns for hire, doing, doing software, uh, design, yeah, just general digital stuff. There's product-focused startups, so ones like uh, With Jack, which does insurance for small businesses and freelancers. Uh, Tido, which is sheet music for musicians. Um, what else is there? Total mind blank. My flag, who do, do an LED wearable flag. And then there's some folk who are part of a, a, a remote team, so they're, they're a business that they work for a business which is based somewhere else, and they're remotely working. From the cabin. So we've had folk from Free Agent and Microsoft uh, working here. Um, and over the, the last, so we've been going for three and a half years. I'd probably say, I don't, off the top of my head, comfortably 60 plus companies have come through here, um, varying lengths of time that they'd stay here. Some people are quite transient and they just they're like digital nomads come here, work for six months, and off to Amsterdam or somewhere else. A lifestyle that I quite like, but my wife wouldn't approve of. So, if you had to sum up, what do you provide for those companies? What do you get in return? Um, I get the first thing that Rookie Oven is a community, first of all. It's, it's not like the co working space is, is obvious that there's a, a tangible thing that people pay for, they, they pay. Uh, £120 for a hot desk, £170 for a fixed desk, and they get access to this co-working space. And yeah, they, they, they get a desk, they get a chair, they get internet access, a pool table. Um, we have uh, mentors coming through. Uh, we do like, drop-in sessions with companies like Skyscanner. Their legal team will come in and, and give, a, give pointers to folk. Um, facilitate uh, engagement with um, investors through things like office hours. Um, but Ricky, having more than that, is just the community aspect. So I think it, well, a big part of that is Ricky having outdates the co-working space that we're agnostic to where people are based. So there's folk across the site doing really interesting stuff in tech, and we try and promote and help them in any way we can. Uh, so the blog we write about them, we've got a job board which we try and promote positions. Um, yeah, so the, the community is just like it, it's, it's tough. Running a business, lonely. Yeah, even if you've got a co-founder, you're it's just full of self-doubt, full of imposter syndrome. So having folk nearby that are in the same boat as you that can just lend some support, lend introductions, just give you pointers is so invaluable. I think it's something that the the the, the local authorities, the, the public sector, just don't get like, their support from things like Business Gateway and Scottish Enterprise, but it's just it just lacks that bit of heart that I think the Rookie Oven community has, where it's genuine people helping each other out. Um, it doesn't it doesn't cost anything to be part of the community. It's just apart from your time, just to to give and get. Um, I think it's like massively massively valuable to me and massively undervalued by um, yeah the public sector. I was thinking about there when you were saying about the open office that 
you kind of say there's an advantage of like networking, you know, being in the one place, but also the, the the contact because it could be quite lonely. You could be just someone in a room on your own or in your house all day and all night by yourself. So yeah, someone across a desk or you know in the same office as you. Yeah, having having folk nearby watching so many levels. If I was to be working in the house, I'd be just beasting Netflix all the time. But having folk nearby pushing pushing you on is like yeah, it's so good. Um, I, I, there's a big thing as well, but the context switch about being in uh, in work mode and in social mode. Like when I'm in the co-working space, I've got a lot of peers around about me that I'll go to the pub with and I'm very social with, but they're effectively my work colleagues. Um, even though I'm a, in a business with two people in it, I've got work colleagues that are the, the, the community. When I go home, it's family and friends, which is very distinct. I think if you were running your business from your house, those lines would get blurred so fast. I think it would be, yeah, so stressful. Rise. Most episodes of this podcast make me seem really work shy, but anytime I talk to someone, it's like, is that not a lot? Does not take up a lot of your time? How much time would you say that Rookie Oven, you know, takes of yours? Um, so Rookie Oven takes And, and of course your company yeah, as well. Rookie Oven takes up, like, too much of my time, in all honesty, because I don't I don't make any money from it. It's it's something I do out of passion. That I had a business that failed, and I think something like Ricky Oven is so powerful and and useful to stop other people having that same failure, learn from my mistakes, and ha- have that network that can support them. Um, and it's something that I felt if I was ever to start a business again, I would want that community around about me. It didn't exist, so. I'm not not somebody who will sit about and moan. I'd rather just get on about and, and fix the problem. Um, so yeah, Rookie Oven takes up quite a bit of my time. Uh, my own business, like I, yeah, I think it's really hard. Like I don't. So my wife thinks I'm lazy because I'll, I'll I'll wake up in the morning, uh, maybe half six, check my emails, uh, spend a bit of time on Reddit or whatever, just chill myself out. And I don't hit the office until about half nine. I try and avoid the school mental rush. Um, and I typically stay here till about six, half six, then head home. And when I get home, I, I, I eat my dinner and try and switch off. Occasionally, I'll lift my laptop out and do some work. Um, and then at the weekends, I try not to work as well and try and keep some sort of semblance of a, a, a working week. Prior to that, I would have been... That's something I've I've done recently. Uh, maybe in the last two years before that, I would quite easily work six or seven days a week, just just constantly laptop out, writing code, designing, doing emails, doing copy, doing blog posts, whatever it is I had to do at that point. Um, and I think now it's like much healthier for me to have distinction between work and home, and and, and try and be quite religious about that, um, both for like my physical health and my mental health. That you're not constantly connected to the to work which is really difficult to do if you run your own business uh, sorry what was the business you had that failed what well, did it do uh, so <laughs> it was a, a safe social network like it was a guy called chris mccann uh, he's now running his own business uh, another thing called snap 40 like he, he just raised a whole stack of cash um it was but, but the thing we were working on then was a uh, called Dazio. it was a, a safe social network so Thinking behind that was that Facebook, Bebo, that's old school, uh, are unsafe. Like you can get the 
cyber cyberbullying, uh, grooming. Uh, there's a lot of dangers for young people online, and many of these networks you have to be over 13 before you can use them. But who actually? You just tick a box. So you had a, these platforms with lots of kids on them, lots of predators or or, or their peer groups in school bullying them. And we thought we could do something about that by having a moderated social network that parents would pay for, but they didn't. There was lots of problems. I think the, the concept, there's something in there about internet safety and our training wheels for the web, because I think young people are going to have to, you know, do like kids now have got phones in their pockets and they're connected to the internet. They're using Snapchat, YouTube, all sorts of stuff all the time anyway. And training wheels for that for, for younger kids would, would 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 alleviate a lot of the problems you get on on the networks now, um. But what we were proposing, the way we built it, the business model, marketing, it was all just mince. Um, so many learnings across it. It was it was. Personally, I didn't I didn't I didn't have. Uh, I, I didn't come out of it broke or I've lost money or anything. I, I was fortunate in that, but it was it was the the best learning experience I could have had. I spent four years at university before that doing a computer science degree and then a 12 month masters after it and nothing compares to that 12 months doing doing Dizio. Just so much stuff thrown at the deep end way over our heads not realising it. I'm trying to think who it was. Tim Ferriss or someone talking about a real world MBA like taking your own money and your own time or whatever and, and starting a business or trying something out for yourself and being hands on instead of being theory and yeah. how much more valuable that is. Yeah, I, I say this as a guy that you know I, I have went to university and, and, but I, I really don't care. Like if, if, if you've got a piece of paper saying that you can you've got a like, man, there's some folk in my, my, my course at university who are just the worst software developers I've ever seen. Absolutely terrible, and they got a first class degree because they could pass exams. They could, you know, they could bullshit uh, an essay, but actually put them in a the room with a keyboard and get them to write some code. Man, it was terrible. And I'd much rather have young, talented people that are uh, self-starting and, and you know, prove that they can do something rather than book smart. Uh, someone at you know, a 22 year old graduate or a 22 year old that's run a website for the last seven years, I know which one I would pick. Okay, so time for some crude generalization, I'm going to call it. Um, you also dealt with a lot of founders. Is there any commonalities with those people? Do you see there's anything that people have in common or not? Um, interesting. I, like that. I think the founders that I meet. I'm a bit black and white, or I would rather put it in like the tune of fat terms of good guy wank. And uh, <laughs> you, 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 I think I, I kind of try and distill people down into one of those two camps. And uh, yeah, I think generally in Glasgow, there's a lot of good guys, very few wanks. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know what I would say is, is the commonality. I guess, unfortunately, the one commonality is that it's mainly white males. There's not a lot of diversity in, in starting businesses in Glasgow, and it's certainly in tech, which is quite frustrating. I think gender, race, like, it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't realise that if you came into Rookie Oven. I think our co-working space is above industry averages for those things, but you're, you're still looking at predominantly white male, uh, which, which is not great. Um, as in traits, what do people have? Um, I think there's, there's a, there is just a general 
get shit done attitude. The good people, certainly, they just you put obstacles in their way and they'll find a way under it, round it, over it, and they'll just get stuff done. Um, and that's that's kind of, a, yeah, a trait I guess. I don't know if that's like a bit of Glasgow grit or if it's uh, part of being a founder. What about the, the age of them? This blew my mind. I think in America, I've seen the average age of a founder was like 42, which made no... I don't know about these things, but that made no sense to me at all. It's, do you see that people starting companies are a bit older? Or do you think that maybe just doesn't apply here and something it does in America? I, th- I think there's no limit to age. I think it, it, it's certainly easier for a younger younger person because you, you don't have... It, well, sorry. It's, it's more likely that you won't have a mortgage wife kids, husband, whatever. You, you don't have um, the same pressures that a 42-year-old would have. But yeah, I, to me, like, age isn't a barrier. Like, one stumbling block, particularly for tech, can be um, the rate of change. So the the, the tech world is, is so fast. If you, if you have went to a JP Morgan and you've been working there for the last 20 years, um, doing you know what Java development or something, you you might find it a bit of a struggle coming out and to start a tech business. Um, but the folk who start a a business that are forty two are um, in many ways a head start to the ones that start a business when they're twenty two. They've got twenty years of life experience with dealing with people with you know dealing with paperwork with you know yeah. I think that dealing with people things actually is so important and, and often undervalued. Um, so yeah, like I, I wouldn't have, in Glasgow. Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't. I, I'm not exactly got ages on everyone, but uh, yeah, I know that there's a variety in, in that. And to generalise a little further, um, are there any common reasons why companies fail? Do you say <laughs> not good enough? Um, good enough reason. Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Uh, Pretty arrogant. A lot of people say Glasgow's shit for starting a business because there's not the level of capital, start capital funding around. And I, I think like, that's just all the shit. Like you can compared to London, Glasgow is so affordable. Um, like the cost of rent is far less. Yeah, it's like the competition's far less as well. So. Folks starting a business in, in, in Glasgow have got a whole set, whole host of different advantages that other areas just simply don't. Yeah, we'll get disadvantages, but why why labour on them when we can exploit the advantages? Um, so yeah, businesses in Glasgow, I think, just typically fail because of of not being good enough, and and that's fine. Like I think if a business is, is not good enough, like Dizio was, it was shut. Move on. And the next thing will be better. The next thing will be better. The next thing will be better again. Um, if, if I could give one one complaint about Glasgow startups, Glasgow founders, is some of them are just too uh, reluctant to, to call it quits and say, you know what, I've actually done shit here. I can do better next time. And draw a line under it. It's a bit of a sunk cost fallacy that people have invested a lot of time, effort, and themselves into something and they just don't... Um, yeah, draw a line under it and, and, and take those learnings forward and do it better the next time. Have you seen any companies that you've been like utterly convinced would succeed and then fail? And the opposite of that, where you were convinced that some would fail and they somehow managed to pull it out and kept going? Yeah, so, yeah, two, two good ones, I guess. First one, Dizio. Obviously, I was convinced that was going to work. Um, yeah, so convinced. And 
there's so much naivety in that. Um, the one that I was convinced was going to fail is a company called uh, Alba Orbital. Uh, really interesting company. Uh, they're now based in Garbles. They do satellites. So probably about five, six years ago, I was at a, speaking at an event and this wee pasty ginger guy came up to me and was like, how you doing, Michael? Uh, I want you some advice. I want you to start a business sending satellites into space. And I was like, what? What's your background? Are you like a physicist? Or he was like, no, I do marketing at university. And I was like, mate, you're nuts. Um, but that's a good example. Tom, like, Tom, the founder, is like, so not, I call him crazy Tom. It was a bit disingenuous. But he was so, he was so passionate about it. He didn't have, he just, he just, as much as you're like, mate, I don't know if you're that's going to work. Um, he he just had something about, like, yeah, he's a guy who's went under, over, round, through walls just to get where he is today. And he's got a couple of satellites in, in production. He's got deals with the European Space Agencies, like doing like really cool stuff. And yeah, based in Glasgow, easily fly under the radar, um, and, and could easily have, have not got there. But yeah, so glad that he has. Yeah, so the Glasgow environment for startups, what would you say is specifically wrong with it? Depends what day, like I can, uh, what day you catch me on, who, who, who it is I'm ranting at. Um, uh, I think Glasgow is, is frustratingly its own worst enemy um, as, a, as, a, as a community. Or, yeah, it's just, there's too many people just doing me too rather than just jumping in and helping out. Um, and, and pulling in the same direction. So, a case in point is Rookie Oven opened the co working space in 2015. We partnered with a social enterprise called Govern Workspace who renovated the Fairfield shipyards. The space was decorated on a budget of £300. 250 of that was my pool table. So, priorities there. It's all, it's all donated. Like we're sitting at a table just now that my aunt donated. There's my aunt's sofas up there, my grand's TV. It's all, it's all being willed by the community or by friends and family. About 18 months later, Glasgow City Council opened up a space called Tontine and invested £1.68 million in it. And, and they say that they're targeting a different demographic and whatever, but it, at the end of the day, they're, they're trying to create a, an identity for Glasgow technology. I've been working on that since 2011. And... Arrogantly me, I think I'm doing a better job of it than them. If someone did a better job than me, great, like, I'd be the first customer. But I don't think what they're doing is better than what we, we're, we've doing, have been doing and are doing and are going to do. Um, so it's frustrating to see that because it dilutes the message. That, uh, we're too small a city, we're a tiny wee village in, in the grand scheme of things. So why, why dilute it? Why have these two spaces with resources that are pulling in opposite directions? Or Yeah, I just... I guess they think they're doing what they're doing is right. I disagree. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's just so frustrating that we don't have that cohesion and that, that engagement. With people. That's something really good. Let's champion it and let's run with it. Um, yeah. So where in the world gets it right? I know there's an obvious answer of Silicon Valley. It's probably done all right for itself. <laughs> um, but is there, is there anywhere else that you're just kind of envious of? Somewhere else in the world that you just think just nailed it? Hey, this is going to pay me to say it, but those fuckers on the East Coast. Um, Ed, Edinburgh's got a, a really good community. And it's built up over over at least 10 years. Uh, started out with uh, 
Edinburgh University's Appleton Towers had a great wee space for young businesses that grew out of the university. And uh, Skyscanner is obviously a breakout that, that is exited at $1.75 billion or whatever it was. Uh, Fangio is a, a headline grabbing company that was valued at over a billion dollars not too long ago. Um, Free Agent, a really good company that, that scaled up and exited. There's quite a few others. All those companies did so with a, a, a tech identity. They were they were open, collaborative, recruited locally, um, given back to the community, um, advocates for doing good work, work with each other. Um, and then since that, the uh, a space home that called Tech Cube down at the near the meadows, and then that transformed into Codebase next to the castle. So now that's a building chock full of tech folk uh, working on a whole lot of different crazy stuff. Really good. Um, it's a, a, a focal point for that city. Like if you go to Edinburgh and you want to meet someone working in technology, you go to Codebase. It's the, it's the place to go. Um, then there's like satellite places around that. Like Skyscan are, are based just 200 yards, 500 yards away, something like that. Um, so Edinburgh's done a really good job there. Uh, there's a good community. There's a, a vibrancy to it. There's um, yeah, it's it's, it's a it's, it's annoying that Glasgow just doesn't get it right. I also think it's annoying that the two cities are separated by a forty-minute train journey, and they may as well be on the other side of the world. Um, I also think yeah, you're right. Silicon Valley is amazing. And one of the important things for me is that folk in, in Glasgow and, and Edinburgh have got really good connections there. You, you can just jump on a flight from Glasgow, hop through it, uh, Dublin, and get to San Francisco in twelve hours. You know, it's not it's not the longest flight in the world, and you get there, and there's a, a whole host of folk from Scotland that you know the. You drop them an email saying, heads up guys, I'm going to be over, fancy a pint? And they'll, they always say yes. They, they always say yes. They like, just love to pe- talk to people from back home. And then when they come back home, they bring their contacts back with them. They're, they're, that um, network effect of folk from Scotland, they just they don't forget home. And it, it, it's good for us to have a, a, that direct link into to such a, a strong tech ecosystem. You spend much time in Silicon Valley? Uh, no, too short a time. Too short. Uh, I mean, I fully. Uh, I, the reason I went back to university way back, like to, to do my masters, was fully with the intention of uh, getting a, a a masters degree that would help me get a stupidly hard to get American visa. Um, totally set on it. One of my friends from university, Finbar, went over there, uh, and and that was that was it. That's what I was going to do. And as I was doing my masters, I met some bird in the ABC and now married to her. So uh, that that stopped that. Um, I was over, last time I was over there was two years ago. Um, it was on a program called Cross Creative, which was organised by a company called TRC Media. So myself and I think it was seven other founders or, or senior people in Scottish tech companies were uh, taken over on a field trip, and it was a, a amazing experience. Um, they they organised uh, yeah this five day four day trip round uh, the Bay Area. We went to uh, Facebook, Twitter, 
Pixar, Ideal, um, Medium, Y Combinator, like, just loads of companies. Amazing. Um, um, yeah, I, I would love to repeat that. It's so good. Um, and then I stayed on a couple of days, and, and folk that I knew over there, uh, a girl I went to university with, Louisa, uh, worked at Tesla and, and got my tour at Tesla. Uh, my friend Finn Barb took me into the Y Combinator main offices in Mountain View, went a tour of the Google campus. Um, yeah, I, I was there. Uh, Finn Barb's wife was, I think, a bit confused at why I wanted to get my photo taken at street signs and stuff. And I was like, do you realise what happened here? Do, do you realise? And, um, yeah, it was, I, I love being there. Uh, it was so good. Um, uh, yeah, I would like to go back quite soon. Uh, yeah. I, I do still have ambitions of one day maybe doing the Y Combinator program, which is the three-month accelerator, so companies like Reddit, Dropbox, Twitch, all grew from Airbnb, it's the biggest one, uh, all, all grew from my coordinator, it's like, iconic, uh, I'd, I'd love to take, take part in that programme. Twitch was really the one I would, I would never have seen as a success, the whole thing about like watching people playing, other people playing games instead well, of playing them yourself, that's never going to work. It started out as Justin TV, so the founder Justin Can strapped a webcam to his head and walked about and he recorded his life and he built the tech to, to support that and then opened it up so other people could stream their lives and then they noticed that most people were just streaming games so why do we bother with the rest of it, let's just do the game stuff. Um, and Amazon thought it was worth 1.2 billion. Funding's a thing I'm kind of intrigued by. Um, companies looking for funding that you've dealt with. Otherwise, I don't really understand how that works. So they just they apply for venture capital in Glasgow, Scotland. It's a location, not matter. People ever come looking for them? You ever deal with any like VC people? So yeah, um, so investment. There's multiple levels of investment. Some 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 investors won't invest. I've been been talking to guys and they've said, "No, sorry, I can't invest in you." We only, our minimum investment is five million pounds. Uh, they won't talk to you unless they're willing to raise more than five million. They're just too too high risk for them. Um, uh, so you, you've got different rounds: seed, angel. Uh, you might move into VC, um, and there's different mechanisms for getting that. Uh, different. Different different processes and lead times, but um, you yeah you've got different different options. Um, personally, I'm a great believer in a guy called uh, the approach taken by a company called Basecamp. They're a project management tool. Uh, the founder of that is a guy called DHH who founded the Ruby on Rails framework, which is yeah a tech framework for yeah, a web a framework for doing web development. Um, so DHH also happens to be a class winner Le Mans driver, which I quite like. But uh, his approach is, or the, his belief is, he, he's very sceptical of uh, the VC world and big raises and uh, startups that aren't profitable. Um, and, I, and I believe that if you're doing a business, I, 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 my, my ambition would be to, to, to grow a product that makes money from the outset, whatever the business model is, continues to do that and uh, growing that to a business that has turnover of a couple hundred million pounds and I retain 50% ownership of that with my co-founder. I think that's, I think that's possible. Basecamp's done that. Um, and and that's not a, that's not unambitious. A lot of people would say you lack ambition if you don't want to be a unicorn. Like, sod that. Like, 
that to be a little one, but the guys at Fangio had a a, a roller coaster where they had a, a business valued over a billion dollars and the founders walked away with nothing. Um, I would much rather, yeah, be the DHH of the world that's grown a business that has got sustainable revenues, sustainable growth, um, and it now affords him to to to, to own a product and, and and make an impact, a dent in the world in a way that he feels is right, but also you know race it along. Uh, who wouldn't want to do that? Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm not against investment. I just think you need to really consider why you're doing it and and what the benefits would be and what the implications are. Uh, when you're raising investment, you're effectively selling a part of your business. Or not effectively, you are you're selling a part of your business. So when you sell it, what's the cost to you? Who who comes on board to the business? Does that affect your ability? When you we gain you. you, you you sell part of your business to gain capital to allow you to do more, but does it limit you to do other things? Um, bringing um, more bodies onto the board or um, having a say in the company can, can slow down what you, what you operationally do and what you can speed up with additional resource from the capital that you get. So he's quite interesting as well, DHS. I like this idea is like shooting down myths, so he's saying like don't go for all this funding, but also like was it cap the working hours at like 40 hours a week or was it in the summer we only work 35 hours a week or something like just shooting down all these traditional ideas of startups? Yeah, the guy's like so outspoken. Like you, you look at his Twitter feed and you're like, man, like you're so right, you're so right. And then you read one tweet and you're like, oof, don't know about that. Um, but he's opinionating, he shares those opinions, which I like. Um, they've got a, really good, a lot of really good books, uh, Remote and Rework are well worth having a read. Very consumable, like short stories are like easy to read. Uh, like a tenner or something like that on Amazon, so I totally recommend getting them. We've kind of covered the whole founding a startup shouldn't isn't all consuming for you, or do you find it being all consuming for other people? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't. Anecdotally, I don't see that often. Um, maybe. The folk with a bit more youth would, would have that approach and hit, hit things really hard and, and run at it. I think the more experienced heads, folk who are a wee bit older, the ones that are maybe nearer 42, uh, have got um, the battle scars and they know that you're just heading towards burnout if you do that and you need to temper it in, in your uh, your efforts. Yeah, don't, don't just go at it crazy hours. Somebody making a good point I hadn't really considered and saying like if you're all out, like the main ways companies go wrong is bad decision making and how you're gonna make good decisions when all you're doing is just working constantly and not sleeping and not looking after yourself, like no wonder things go wrong. Yeah. Um I think Y Combinator there Paul I think it was Paul Graham said that uh, a founder on Y Combinator should be doing three things working, eating and looking after themselves. I think that was the three things, but it was basically like go at it really hard and, and just do that and have that effort. But that's on a three month program. I think you could do that in small bursts. Yeah. You couldn't do that for three years. Um, lots of people have read online. Lots of founders. I remember uh, the guy founded Buffer. Was it Joel Gascoigne? He 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 was quite open about his routines. And I, I I would have been at university at the time. I think when I read this. And he said that at nine o'clock, because whatever he's doing, whatever he's working on, if he's just about to crack a big problem, the clock hits nine o'clock, he closes the lid on his laptop and goes out a 20-minute walk, 
just to switch off and get ready for the next day. And I was like, shit, man. If that was me, I would be up to three in the morning. And then the next day would be screwed. And then it would knock me out of whack. So, yeah. Um, I think that, you, yeah, it's totally right. Okay, so that was kind of, maybe that's not the right word, but um, the first thing about all-consuming startups, second one, finance, fina- financiers can be quite shady. Have you any deals with finance people that have been a bit backhanded and a bit dodgy? Um, no, so going back to that good guy wank thing, uh, I think a big part of having a community is that you can identify collectively like, as a peer group. Well, that, that's a good idea. As a wanker, stay away. Him or her is going to be damaging to to you, me, and everyone else that we know. So it, it, it's been a bit of a a protective uh, thing. I have seen like some folk in this community, this ecosystem, that are just out for themselves. Some, and to be blunt, utter arseholes. And I, I tend not to. I try and distance myself from any other activity and don't promote it or and, and don't engage with it. Um. I, I believe in I, maybe it's still just a bit of naivety in me, but I believe in the good of people. Like people do good and see, see well by others. So, uh, and those that don't, they'll get their comeuppance. So, uh, yeah, like I think generally people are, are really are all right. Uh, I think you do hear horror stories, like well, obviously the Social Network one, the movie with Eduardo Savin throwing Mark Zuckerberg's laptop away. I think that's like. Horror stories. I don't, I've not really noticed that in Glasgow. Okay, well, if we can indulge in a little bit of time travelling, so rookie oven, 10 years from now, where do you see it? Didn't realise I was at a job interview. Um, so, How many piano tuners in Glasgow? Um, I think uh, I would love rookie oven to, to remain Glasgow based. He's you see things like Codebase scale up uh, now in Stirling and Aberdeen. I think each city, country, ecosystem has got its own identity and its own benefits, its own negatives, its own its own heartbeat that you just can't copy and paste a success story in Edinburgh and it will suddenly work in Stirling. I think what I'd like to see is like Ricky, you know, become that that core part of what makes Glasgow tech. See more success stories from from Glasgow-based startups that we can help out. Um, and hopefully, you know, my own business, my own products, get customers and, and joins that that list. Um, Ricky Oven is a co-working space. Uh, you know, I'd love it to grow as well and, and, and have the, the building we're in has got a ton of history for uh, shipbuilding. And that was the Silicon, Silicon Valley of 100 odd years ago was building ships. It was on the Clyde. Glasgow did it better than anyone. So I'd like to see more tech companies come come near us and be be in this area. I've got no family connections to govern, but as a place to be based, I really enjoy it. Um, for me, I can drive drive here. I've got free parking. Uh, if I do get the train, there's a subway station just along the road. Um, so yeah, I'd like to like have govern raise its profile as a place that does technology really well because it did it a hundred 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 and fifty hundred years ago. So we can do it again now. Yeah, and you and your company in 10 years' time? So, I'd love to have a product that is, yeah, you know, a stable product that is generating revenues that 
we've, we've had things, we've launched things before that have been used by millions of people, we've just not made any money off them. So <laughs> I'd love to fix that and have people actually use it and make some money. Um, and yeah, like have have something that's that I own, like myself and uh, Chris, my co-founder, uh, have ownership of that, and um, we've scaled it up to. I don't. I. I, I don't want to put it, like. I don't think revenue targets are necessarily. They don't work for me. Um, I like. I think I, I prefer to have targets which are more like at the moment. I've set myself a target of, of having a Jagger F type within five years. And that's what I'm going to work towards. Um, quite materialistic, I guess. Rather than have X Mac Turbo or Mac Jagger. Um, yeah. So you know, after that, I've set my target. After that, what a boat. Then after that, I want to have a holiday cottage somewhere. So I guess in ten years, I've got all three of them. I'll be pretty pleased. And this is quite a general one, but technology in ten years' time. You see any big advances? Uh, one of the things that I think is 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 crazy powerful and, and useful is stuff that you see in like the, the Apple watches where they can monitor your heart rate and do an ECG. Um, my brother's diabetic and uh, he previously had to uh, take blood sugar readings from a cut in his finger. He recently got an implant that you put in your, your arm. Um, it's got RFID, so you just tap your phone to it and it, it, it gives you your blood sugar readings like in real time. It's changed his life. But it's, like, I think it's 60 or 70 pounds every other week to buy one or, or through the NHS. But technology like the wearables that we have, like, like the Apple Watch or Fitbits, could do so much more like blood sugar, uh, sleep, sleeping, um, yeah, tons of just body signals that could improve everyone's general health like massively just by just gentle wee nudges into your blood sugar. You've just eaten a Freddo bar, you realise your blood sugar spiking and that's going to affect your productivity or uh, I think that's like really exciting. Um, the, the stuff that a lot of people talk about with AR and VR uh, I just think it's a bit naff at the moment. If you that my, uh, Magic Leap was going to be this revolutionary thing that demos of the Dolphins jumping out a basketball court or stuff, and then you see the real demo of it. And if you've seen this online, that it's just shit, absolute shit. There's no doubt that technology will improve and get much better, but we're far away from the Star Trek holodeck. Um, I think that stuff will be more prevalent, but I think the uses of it will be felt first in uh, enterprise and stuff like that rather than domestically. Um, yeah, I think good examples have been. Um, like folk working out in oil rigs, they can have a VR helmet that shows them what's happening behind that wall. Or, um, yeah, like I, I think domestically, I don't think I'll be. I may maybe it's worse, but ten years from now, I don't think I'll be sitting in my house with a, a VR headset on. I think we're still in front of my telly. So a few kind of. I need to avoid saying random because it's not random. God damn it! A few shorter questions <laughs> um, before the end. So. Um, I'm actually going to add this in because I forgot to go over it earlier. So um, I presume you've met quite a few people that say, I've got an idea for a business and it's never gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a kind of common reason why they don't? Do you think it's just fear or or something else? Right, so the, the biggest bugbear of mine is people that say, I've got a business, great idea, get the next Facebook. You say, right, cool, what is it? Can't tell you. Like, if you can't tell me, who's a guy that, like, that builds software for a living, then... You're not gonna like you win your customers by talking to people. I could be customer number one, 
Customer number one is the hardest one to get. So, yeah, I cannot stand people that are in stealth mode. Like, if your idea is that good, someone's already thought about it. No idea is original. Just fucking tell people. Speak to everyone. If you get someone to listen to you about one of your passions, why wouldn't you talk to them about it? Like, it's so stupid. Talk about it. Um, but yeah, that's the first reason. People are stealth mode. Second reason is I think people just undervalue how difficult the non-technical parts of a business are. I guess it could be I, I, I'm a you know, software background. I look at things and I think, God, that's easy to build or that's hard to build, but you know, difficult to sell it. People maybe look at it naively and think, oh yeah, you know, we'll throw this website up and then people will find it through Google. It just does not work like that. Um, yeah, I, I, for anyone who's starting a business, I would advocate about called the Lean Startup. And the, the principles there are to do uh, an MVP, a minimum viable product, uh, and spend as little time and money as possible to get something representative out. Make it as small as possible. Don't don't invest more than you need to. And then try and get customers. And it might not be the product you envisage or you want, but if it helps you figure out if you're on the right path, that will save you money in the long term. Um, so going back to Buffer, a good example of that, the guy that founded it had this, this idea that people would pay to queue up tweets. So he wrote, he put a single web page up and put a button on it saying sign up. He advertised it a wee bit on Google. And he got a couple of thousand people on it at the site. 40% of them converted into clicking sign up. So he thought, hmm, yeah, yeah, something's worth doing here. And then his next step was to put in a, a pricing page to see how much they would pay. And you know, you find out that of the people clicking it, however many were clicking, ten dollars a month. So he was like, right, okay, let's go price it ten dollars a month. I've got it cost, and you know, he knew he'd spend two hundred dollars on Google AdWords to get four customers who'd pay him ten dollars a month. So you need to scale that up to X to make it viable, and um, yeah, like do as little as possible to make sure what you're doing is worth doing in the first place. If someone wants to learn to code, is there any resources you deem them towards or a particular language you would choose? Um, yeah, so there's, there's YouTube, number one. Like YouTube's the greatest learning resource that I've ever had. As much as it's full of people unboxing on your iPhone, there's also actually really useful videos. Uh, I, I took up garden during the summer. Like My garden was an absolute mess and I made it my mission that I was going to do my garden. And uh, I just watch YouTube videos all the time while I'm gardening. Um, totally sad though. Um, but yeah, it's the same for coding. You can, you can learn to code through, through YouTube. Uh, the site's called like, Code Academy and Treehouse. I've got lessons and, and, and different online courses and means of doing that. Um, some of the concepts can be taught through. Um, God, what's that language called? There's a video like visual language. I can't remember what it's called. But you, um, the BB8 by Sphero. On RTD2, you can use, uh, you can actually program through them, which is quite a fun way to do it, if you're especially if you've got kids. Um, but yeah, the, the, the thing to do is just get your finger out and, and, and take a step to do it. Um, you can you can do it on any um, laptop, it doesn't have to be a Mac or a Linux or whatever. You can, you can do it on a Windows PC, you can, you can do it on a Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pis are relatively cheap. Thirty pound or something like that gets you a pie with a SD card. Um, yeah. So the other thing that's really really um, accessible is community efforts. So in Glasgow, there's uh, Coder Dojo. 
it's code bar, is that one? Um, there's girls who code, I think. Um, there's, there's all sorts of classes and meetups and just community efforts. A lot of them are free. Like people in the tech community, tech industry, are generally very giving and, well, and give back. So, you, yeah, you'll be able to get expert advice from someone really easily. And are there any? Any of these particulars? Do you have any favourite thinkers on startups, tech in general? Anyone you follow on Twitter that you think's kind of really got it, really gets it? Yeah, so DHH that I mentioned, um, really good. Um, generally, any of the stuff that surrounds Y Combinator, Paul Graham, Sam Altman, um, Justin Can, really, really enjoy uh, what they do. There's a guy called Mac, Mark Suster. Uh, he actually lived in the UK for quite a while, I think. Uh, he does a, a blog called Both Sides of the Table, or Both Sides but of the Table. Uh, he was a founder, is now a VC, so he writes quite candidly about you know, sitting at both sides of the table as someone raising, as someone who's investing. Um, really good, uh, honest, sincere content. Uh, well worth checking out. If anyone wants to work for a startup, they want to found a startup, they want to work for one, is there a particular set of skills you find that startups are generally looking for? Oh man, you'd be a Swiss Army knife. So when you're when you're, it's the best experience as well. So uh, if you are if you are uh, a software engineer and you just want to code, then you, you're probably better off going to a, a more established team. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a corporate, like a bank, but you, a more established team. But if you don't mind, you know, one day you're, you're, you're working on some back-end code and the next day you're, you're going to have to do some front-end stuff or do a bit of design or pick up a camera and do photography or do a podcast. or you, Every day it could be different. And um, you, need, you need to have a, a wee tool set of skills. Personally, I, I love that. It's just the monotony of... Doing the same job day after day. Uh, I'll be moving and tune the fat again, tune the fat day after day. Um, yeah, I, I, I would just get sick of it. So, yeah, like you, you, if you embrace that, that variety and enjoy creativity, then totally go for a startup. You make me think of Jared in Silicon Valley. Do you watch Silicon oh, Valley? Of course. <laughs> so good. It's a documentary for us. <laughs> Are there any um, books, sites, documentaries, films you'd recommend, whether about startups or tech or just something you're a big fan of? Um, so, yeah, I think people should embrace their passions and your, your passions outside of software development tech. That they infer so much what you do in your work. And, and for me, big passions, motorsport, Formula One, touring cars, uh, cars in general, just just cars is an interesting man, and and just thinking about things, or think like having your mind into the what's happening. Why are they buying that? Why is it they've done that? Who are they? Why are they signing that person? Or it just you, you learn so much that you then can. I don't know. For me, I've always got this wee bit tickled in the back of mind, which is work, and and when you disconnect into a sport, it's still kind of whirring away in the background, and it, and it links up. Um. For, for movies, uh, there's a movie that came out in the 90s called Pirates of Silicon Valley, um, which is about the story of Apple and Microsoft uh, growing. And it was kind of made at a time where Microsoft, uh, Apple were like, like dirt. Nobody wanted to touch them. 
and Microsoft was in every household in the world just about and it's really interesting now like 20 years later how the fortunes have turned um, I would yeah look that out it's got the dude from ER in it I don't know what his name is but it's, it's really good to play Steve Jobs um, and what else is there it's always like not so much choice, you forget it. <laughs> okay, um, final question. Are there any sites you'd want any listeners to check out? I remember what I was in last time. Go for it. <laughs> the, I quite like, you asked me like heroes and stuff, I'm not too big into the whole hero worship thing, but uh, Steve Jobs' commencement speech, of, I think it was 2005, Stanford. Um, like Steve Jobs is a dick in many ways, but this, this speech is just outstanding. Like three simple life stories from him. Um, I would encourage anyone to read it when I when I'm when I'm feeling down and think shit, man, this is all, all going wrong. I put that on, it jeez me up, and I'm like, I can take on the world. <laughs> um, yeah, really, really, like that's when I keep going back to. Um, I actually, I've put it on for like you know friends that have broken up with a girlfriend and I'll put it on and I'm like, come on, like, you can take on the world and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Sorry, what was your question? Um, any sites, Twitter, Facebook, anything you'd want the listeners to check out? Uh, rookieoven.com adjam.com um, uh, I, um, if, if you're looking to get into startups and, and yeah, first part call would be uh, Hacker News, the Y Combinator website. Really go in there and just absorb on the chatter and what's happening. Um, locally, if you're looking to get more exposure, more experience, and, and know people in Scottish tech, like, yes, yeah, certainly Rookie Oven, come on to our website and look at some of the stuff that we've got in there. But meetup.com and Eventbrite, just keep your eye out. There's so many events going on, so many things like user groups like Glasgow JavaScript or Ruby Glasgow or Python Glasgow. Um, definitely get yourself along to those events. Um, there's like sector specific ones like a, a tourism and technology or um, digital health things like that. Like just those things that pique your interest. Like they're on they're on meetup.com. Some of them are on, yeah meetup.com and Eventbrite are the two go tos. Okay, that's a good place to stop. So, Michael, thank you very much. Cool. Developers, 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 developers. Yes! <laughs>